Thanks so much for tuning in to Pivotal Moment, where we talk to people in news, sports, and entertainment about the moment that changed it all. I'm your host, Nikita Faustin. Download Pivotal Moment on iTunes, Google Play, and Podbean, and please leave a review. Now, if you are a Netflix fan, listen up. Today's show, we've got Dr. Kelly Richmond Pope. She's the creator and executive producer of the documentary, All the Queen's Horses, available now on Netflix. If you haven't, you have got to check this one out. It's the story of Rita Crunwell. She was the comptroller in the small town of Dixon, Illinois, and she stole, get this, $53 million. That's right, $53 million from the town and nobody knew. It's the largest case of municipal fraud in U.S. history. But how could it happen and nobody notice? Well, All the Queen's Horses answers that question. The documentary follows the trail of money left behind and an empire of prize-winning horses that Cornwell purchased with that money. Dr. Pope is a CPA and forensic accounting professor at DePaul University. For five years, she worked to bring this documentary to life. And now it is here. Now it is on Netflix. Thanks so much for joining us, Dr. Pope. Welcome to Pivotal Moment. I teach most of my accounting classes with the use of film and TV. And so when um reading the Tribune one day and saw the Dixon, Illinois story about what the comptroller did, the headline was that she embezzled $30 million. And at that point, I said, wow, this would make for a really great documentary. And little did I know that five and a half years later, after all of these interviews and traveling around, chasing people down to talk to them about their Rita stories, that I would have this documentary. But it really started from my love of TV and film and using that as a teaching tool in the classroom. Well, I try to incorporate it into as many lectures as I can because they're really some great stories. And so I think that story is a, a very solid way to teach because it, you tend to remember concepts better. So whether those are um, clips from shows like Ozarks or Breaking Bad or even Shark Tank or Restaurant Startup, depending on the class, you know, those are really good ways to put a story in someone's mind. And so once you put that story in someone's mind, then you can talk about just different theories around that story. That's really my approach to teaching. Wow, that is such a great idea. And I love Ozark, by the way. That was an amazing series also on Netflix. So what has been the response, Kelly, to All the Queen's Horses? It's been good, but it's also been mixed. And um, it's been good in terms of viewers tend to like it, love it, and find a lot of value in it. But when I say mixed, is because I would say the film industry was lukewarm to it. And so the popularity by people wasn't as consistent with the response from the industry. And, and so what I mean by that is we pitched to Netflix last year in 2017 and got turned down. Mm-hmm. And only when we launched on Video On Demand in April of 2018 and we were the number one documentary on iTunes, Amazon, Google Play, DirecTV, Wow. Only then wow. did we or we approach or we or we reach back out to Netflix and they're like, okay, clearly there's a demand. But I, as a first time 
filmmaker without going to film school, having any of those film ties or credentials, or having a star tied to my film as an executive producer, I was a nobody. And so the reception from the film industry, the film festivals, the things, that the accolades that you think as a filmmaker you would get, I didn't get that. So mm-hmm. there was, there's been sheer market demand, which is great, but the acceptance from the industry, I still feel wasn't always there. Do you think that has to do, as you were mentioning, with your background, since it wasn't necessarily in film, or does it have to do with the content of the documentary more so? I think it's a couple things. I think that we all have unconscious biases, Mm. and we feel like some people should tell certain stories and other people should tell other stories. And so I don't know if it was easy for the industry, and industry in air quotes, was ready for an African-American female telling a story about a Caucasian female who committed the largest municipal fraud in U.S. history. I'm not sure I was the person that was supposed to tell that from the industry angle. Mm. And so it's interesting because when I, I look at some other filmmakers, they were accepted in different circles that I think that my film never was accepted in. You know, like I applied to the big film festival that's in Miami. Is it the ABF, ABFF. American Black Film Festival? Yes. We have ABFF? Yep, ABFF. Yep. Rejected. I was rejected from that festival. Wow. And so it's like I might be a black director, but the film isn't a black issue. So I always sort of I felt see. like I never really fit. And so I just don't know if I was supposed to be telling the story from the angle of what people expected. But when you look at my background, I most definitely should be the one that's telling the story. I mean, I worked in forensic accounting. I'm a CPA. I'm a PhD in accounting. I I mean, who better can tell a fraud story that deals with accounting than an accounting professor? I love it. (laughs) Absolutely. I just don't know if I was the person that should have been behind the camera. That's so interesting. So how have you dealt with that or how have you confronted it or have you had to? Has the audience really spoken for you? I think the audience has spoken for me because I don't know where this film would have been without social media. I mean, the Facebook page, the Instagram, um, posted on LinkedIn. I mean, the social sharing has been phenomenal. When we posted our trailer on Facebook, Within a week, I think we had 143,000 views, but yet and still, no reporter wanted to write about the trailer or the film. So I just took it upon myself and did it on my own. But that's typically not how it happens. Like the Hollywood Reporter or Variety Magazine, sure. those, those are the things that you want to pick up on your film and and they talk about and they release your trailer and they do an article about it. But for me, it just didn't happen that way. So did the turn of events in terms of getting the notoriety, the respect and the acknowledgement really happen once social media picked up the idea and started to share it? Is that when it started to change for you and you started getting some of those high touch moments? I always knew that the story was the people's story. I always knew that it would resonate with people. 
um, because of Rita Tunwell had such a huge reach because of her horses. And so the equestrian industry or the equestrian community is a global community. And so wherever Rita's horses went or wherever her name went, the interest for this film went. Mm. And so if you never spent any time trying to understand what this project was or what the film was about, then you completely missed that. Mm. And this is about the largest municipal fraud in United States history. So this is a historical moment that people now, if you didn't know about it, you should have known about it because it could happen anywhere. Mm -hmm. And that's what the film is about. So if you never really gave it a chance, you missed out on a big thing. The documentary process began. So during the screening, you started to tell the story of seeing something and then making a call. And then this is what got the ball rolling. Can you tell us that? Well, the um, U.S. Marshal Service was auctioning off her assets. And the asset that they started with first was this multi-million dollar motorhome, motor coach that she used to go to all these horse competitions. And I called and wanted to see it and wanted to film it. That's really how everything started. And when I say everything started, what I mean by that is having a relationship with the U.S. Marshal Service and being able to ask questions and get information when I had questions about the case. At that point, I knew I was going to make a film about it. Okay. I just didn't know if it was going to be like a feature documentary that would end up on Netflix. Right. But I knew that <laughs> I was going to uh, try to do you know a quality piece because you never know where things are going to end up. You, you don't. Never know. You don't. And five years. Why did it take five years, Kelly? Well, it took five years because you had to let the case in. And mm-hmm. so Rita needed to be sentenced. Rita needed to go to jail. And the city needed to sue their auditors, the bank, and the sole practitioner accounting firm. And that lawsuit needed to be settled, and the money needed to be distributed back to the city, and they needed to recover. So all of that needed to happen. And that took about five and a half years for all of that to happen. In about year two, American Greed, the CNBC show yeah. that comes on, mm-hmm. did an episode about Rita. And because they did it around year two, the main thing that they focused on was just Rita and this woman and her lavish lifestyle. But there was a bigger story than that. And that is, how does this happen? And that's where All the Queen's Horses picks up the story. Yeah. So tell me about once you finally got the nod and the interest from Netflix, did you feel validated at that point or what were your feelings? Something that happened, um, I was excited when we got our life system deal and I got the date and um, I was excited about that. So this happened probably in mid-May that we were going to launch July 10th. And so early, late June, early July, something starts to happen. And what happens is all of these blogs and online papers have a publication that comes out that says what's coming to Netflix in whatever month you're talking about. So what's coming to Netflix in July? And I just was excited. So I was like, oh, great. This is going to be so neat. I'll be able to see all the Queen's horses coming on July 10th. Well, we were never mentioned in any of those blogs. What? Except one Canadian outlet that talked about all the Queen's Horses will be streaming as of July 10th. So we were never mentioned 
You know, I don't think I've had my moment yet. Um, you I, haven't had yours that. yet. <laughs> I love it. Well, and I'll tell you why, because um, I think we all have, we start out with a plan, and then we try to work our plan. And we hope that we're working the plan, and then we can see what that moment is. With this project, it was so off plan all the time that I don't feel like it was as smooth and as supported as it should have been. So I can't say that I had a pivotal moment here because it was so off off kilter most of the time. Mm-hmm. Now, it came together nicely, but the, the drive up that hill was really hard, really bumpy. Did you ever feel like it wasn't going to happen or that you wanted to just stop during that five-year period? No, I knew I would finish because I'm a finisher. I knew I would finish. Would it be, would I finish and be on Netflix? I (laughs) I didn't think that, but I knew I could finish it. Sure. One of the things that we always wanted was a TV broadcast. And one of the things that I wanted, one of the last milestones that I wanted was to be nominated for an Emmy. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know if that will happen from Netflix because there's just so much content on Netflix. And most of the Emmy nominated programs on Netflix are Netflix originals. Mm -hmm. And we are not one of those. So I don't think I've had the moment yet. Well, let me ask you this. If you haven't had the moment yet, definitely getting the Emmy would be a moment. Yes, it would be. Okay, that would be a moment. So I want to backtrack just a bit because I think the forensic accounting profession and your role as a professor at DePaul is just really fascinating. How did you get into that? Were you always into numbers and how did you get into the forensic part of things? Well, I think that the interesting aspect of accounting is when accounting goes wrong because that's when everybody's paying attention. You know, when a when there's a fraud or when there's a bankruptcy, that's when you care about what the numbers said. And so um I was always fascinated about when things go wrong, because those are the learning moments when things go wrong. And so that's why I was attracted to fraud, because it allows people to understand why they should know accounting. And so when you can show somebody your lack of understanding these skills is what led to this, you get everybody's attention, whether you're an accounting major or a non-accounting major. Well, how have your students responded to you? They think it's the coolest thing. I mean, I can probably, I can probably tell you that I'm the only accounting professor in the country that has a film on Netflix and the IMDb page. I'm sure of that. That is so amazing. I love it. That's great. I'm sure they think it's cool. They think you're a rock star. They're like, my professor is a rock star. Is yours? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, hashtag my professor is better than yours. So tell me also Mm -hmm. about, because you mentioned that you'd gone to documentary school or film school and kind of learned some of the skills that you'd need to actually pull this off. So tell us what you learned and the people that formed your team to make this happen. So I um, did a film fellowship program with Partenquin Films called Diverse Voices in Docs. And um, that's where I met a lot of the people related to the documentary film community in Chicago. And um, I learned a lot of the lingo in the program, like a log line or TRT, which is total runtime, 
things like that. But what I soon realized was the parallels between the dissertation process that I did earning my PhD and the film process. Because when you're doing research, you're trying to develop what is your research question? What's the question that you're trying to answer? And you sort of go through the same process with a documentary. What is it that you're trying to answer? And so for all the same sources, the question was, how does one person steal $53 million and no one knows? That's the question. And so who do we need to talk to to build all that out? And how do we help a person understand some of these complex issues in a very simplistic way? So those are the same research skills you learn in a PhD program. I was able to apply a lot of that knowledge to this project, so it made it run a little smoother. Makes sense. That What is in this process that you began some five years ago? What's been the most surprising part of it all? The most surprising part of it all is how difficult it is to fund these projects. <laughs> um, it's really surprising that there's only a select few of people who are chosen to get the money. Mm-hmm. And, um, and yet and still, people still sacrifice a lot to make these projects. And that's surprising to me. So how do you go about, because there may be people out here that have an idea for a documentary, but are concerned about the money aspect of it, as you just mentioned. How do you even go about getting money for something like that? Do you solicit individual donors or what's the process? The process would be to team up with somebody that probably already has an industry name because it's going to be easier for you to get money if you're teamed up with somebody that is. But I think you have to think about what your goal is. Because if your goal is just to make some content and to share some content online, then you can do a web series where the production values aren't as or don't need to be as high as, say, something that's going to appear on the big screen. But if you have an interest in developing a film that has a theatrical run that could end up on a Hulu or Amazon or a Netflix, then it's going to cost you a lot of money to hire the type of team that you need to get to that end result. So if that's your goal, then you should definitely see if you can pair up with some industry leaders or icons that can help you get to the money because it takes some money to get to the quality level that you need for the things that you think that you want from it. And were you able to do that in terms of the team that you brought together? Did they have that sense of connection with the industry that was necessary to raise the capital that you needed? No, they actually didn't. And I went into it thinking that they did, but they actually didn't. Great people, lots of experience in other areas, but um, in the documentary film, the national documentary film community, I think my team was probably relatively young and newer into the field than, say, some of your more senior level people. Okay. So with respect to the next step of connecting, negotiating, and getting to the bottom line figures with Netflix, you may not be able to give us the exact numbers, but what is that like getting to an agreement? Do you pitch tonight or do you pitch a number? Do they give you one? Do you guys go back and forth? Netflix gives you a number. There is no negotiation. <laughs> <laughs> Netflix, in my opinion, is sort of like Walmart. They tell you what the number is and you either take it or not. And that's it. And that is it. Okay. 
are you planning to do another documentary with Netflix or with another provider? Um, given this you know, I'll, I'll tell you this. The only way that I could see myself doing another film is if I was approached with a budget. And if someone who has power said to me, Kelly, you did a great job on your first project. Here's X dollars to go and do a second one. If I had that, I could say perhaps, but to go about a project the way I had to go about this, I can't say I would do it again. Wow. So tell us, given that wisdom that you now have for someone who wants to do what you're doing, what would be the most important thing to consider and maybe something to avoid? I think the most important thing to consider is it's not a profitable venture. You know, Mm -hmm. you have to be doing it for some other reason, whether it's marketing and promotion, exposure. But it's a very expensive thing to do for exposure. You need to get all as much money as you can up front because the back end is hard. It's often non-existent. So you have to almost do this out of sheer passion and not out of sheer profit. Good point. Good point. What do you know now, Kelly, that you wish you had known before you started this? That it's not a profitable venture. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Point taken. (laughs) But you've obviously gotten to some profit areas now that you have linked with Netflix. So have people been reaching out to you, as you mentioned, like if someone approached you, have you started getting offers yet? (laughs) No. (laughs) Okay. What about internationally? I know that she had these horses in all these different countries that were being sold. Do you see the response internationally different from that here? Or is there any difference between that? I think people are equally shocked um, internationally and in the U.S. um, because they just don't understand how a person can do this. So I'm glad that All the Queen's Horses answered that question. Do you personally have, I know someone asked the marshal that was there, do you personally have any feelings of maybe feeling sorry for this person or any kind of like emotional residue that might lend itself to feeling some sympathy for her? Um, you know, the only thing that I always think about is, you know, when you think about arrest, You know, it's hard to not think about race relations and different types of privileges, depending on what ethnicity you have. And I often wonder how this would have been if the variables had been different. You know, when Rita was, when it was reported that she stole $53 million, she was released on her own recognizance for a $4,500 bond. And just given the cases of police brutality over something way more minor that happens with people of color, It just makes you wonder how this would have been different if there were different variables for the key players in this case. That's a really, really good point. She did get afforded a lot of latitude. Even after the whistleblower kind of spoke out, she still had some time to kind of operate. You know, she was never forced down to the ground. (laughs) There were just some things that did not happen in her case, which, as you point out, have happened for much less. Do you think, I don't want to give it away for the folks who haven't seen it yet, but Do you think that there was some or should have been some culpability by the other players, namely the mayor in this case? You know, legally speaking, there was never any evidence that showed that he was involved in anything. So to arrest him and have him do some any type of jail time because he should have known or maybe 
wasn't mining the store in the right way probably is not a precedent you want to start because then you're firing everybody (laughs) over everything. (laughs) Right. Some of the folks that you obviously had to interview during that five-year period were talking about things happening in their own backyard, so to speak. So was the response or the reception from the townsfolks there, was it pretty positive towards you? Did you get any pushback? For the most part, they were very positive because they had the same question. They wanted to figure out how this happened. And so they were appreciative that someone was trying to dig into this further and figure it out, too. Okay. Okay. It's an amazing story. Anything else, Kelly? This has been so insightful. I feel like I want to go out and do a documentary, but I have uh, no... I have no uh, no topic, no subject, no direction, but I'm so glad that you do. And I think what you share will be really, really helpful. What do you expect Netflix or what do you expect All the Queen's Horses to do going forward? Like, what do you foresee happening in the next year or two for your, hmm. your baby? I really don't know. I guess it'll just keep spreading and sharing a message with people, but I really don't know. Will you be traveling more to promote and like what would be your next stop? How can people kind of meet you, shake your hand and ask you questions going forward? Um, I'm not. No, that was all that last year. I'm done with that. <laughs> You're done? <laughs> mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about your podcast and where that can be downloaded and what that is about, because I think that's also pretty interesting and a part of this big story. So I put it on pause right now. Oh, so, okay. Um, okay. So okay. it's on iTunes and Google Play. And it's called Nothing But the Truth, but we're just sort of trying to figure out what makes sense. Yeah. Again, you need to understand the business model in podcasting because it takes time. And so, yes, you know, what is your ultimate goal? And my ultimate goal isn't necessarily to put all my intellectual property out in the space for free. Mm. You know, so trying like to figure it. out how to get it popular and get it, get advertisers who want to be on it. That You know, you right. got to figure that out. Well, you have the mindset to do so much. I have no doubt that you won't figure that out um, easily, quickly, and we'll be waiting. So I want to thank you so much, Kelly, for making time to talk with me and talk with us and for sharing your story. If you have not seen All the Queen's Horses, please check it out or check it out rather on Netflix. It's really, really amazing, as is Dr. Pope. So thank you again and uh, best of luck. Thanks. And we're also still on iTunes, Amazon, Google, DirecTV, Xfinity. We're also there too. Excellent. And where can people like follow you personally or should, if they follow you, they'll find all the Queen's horses as well, right? Yeah. So okay. I'm on all the social stuff. Okay. Like, and it's just at Kelly R. Pope. Okay. Awesome. 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 Handle. All right. You heard it. That's at Kelly R. Pope for all of Dr. Pope's social media platforms. If you want to follow, like, and share, or watch the trailer, or learn about the making of All the Queen's Horses, it is an amazing film. You will not be disappointed. I urge you to check it out today on Netflix. And let's hope that Dr. Pope continues and has more plans to share more stories that we cannot believe, but we need to hear. Coming up on our next episode in our Women Who Rock series, we'll talk to retired female quarterback, yep, female quarterback, Sammy Grisafi. Although she's retired from the Chicago Force, she's turned her sights back to music with another Grammy-worthy album soon to drop. Her recent release, It's All Un-American, has a message for Donald Trump. You don't want to miss it on our next episode of Pivotal Moment. Download and subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, and Podbean. 
Thank you so much for listening. I'm your host, Nikita Faustin. We will talk to you next time.